0: To Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights, and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Data, data, data. We hear so much about the importance of it. That's because it is important. It is often no longer acceptable to simply make gut decisions or use your intuition when it comes to making business decisions. And sponsorship, it's no different. I remember about 10 years ago hearing a story of a major bank attending a sponsorship renewal meeting and saying to the sports team, we just don't feel like the sponsorship is giving us what we want. If that partnership was in place today, early use and discussion of data would have allowed both parties to address any issues early on and ensure that ROO and ROI was delivered. Whether you're on the rights holder side or the brand side, or you work for an agency, data now plays an important role in reducing any risks and unknowns around sponsorships. Whether that is using data to identify well-aligned partners, presenting sponsorship proposals, evaluating sponsorship proposals, or tracking and ensuring partnerships that are actually in place. However, There are lots of organizations and platforms collecting data and trying to bring it to life and make it useful. Sometimes organizations even have silos of data within their own walls, which presents problems. Data at times can feel big, it can feel unwieldy and hard to make sense of and work for you. However, there are some that are doing it well, and Kindred Group is one of them. Hi, I'm Daniel Oyston, host of Inside Sponsorship, and you're listening to Episode 108, brought to you by Core Software. Thank you so much for joining me for what I can promise is a very insightful discussion around sponsorship data measurement and evaluation. But before we get to that, I'd normally do some shout-outs, but this time around, there are none to give. Now, those that have been listening for a while know how sad that makes me. It's not just a throwaway line. I really do enjoy getting a little message on LinkedIn and hearing about what you are up to. So get in touch and say hi. Even if you've had a shout out before, shoot me a message anyway. Let me know which episodes you've been enjoying and what sort of cool stuff you're working on at the moment. I'd love to hear from you. As I mentioned earlier, data plays an increasingly important role in sponsorship, no matter what area you work in. As such, joining us for this episode is Christian Fitzier, Sponsorship Insight and Operations Manager at Kindred Group. Founded in 1997 to provide customers with a better and safer way to place a bet in the modern digital world, Kindred Group, which was then known as Unibet Group, built a reputation as a disruptor and innovator, quickly gaining a loyal customer base right around the world. Kindred... Change the game by offering customers a better gambling experience than traditional physical in store or shopfront operators. During the last 25 years, Kindred has established significant market share in key regulated markets right across the globe, and today, Kindred is one of the world's leading online gambling operators with business across Europe, US, and Australia, servicing over 30 million customers across nine brands. They are 1,600 people strong, representing 62 nationalities located across offices in 12 locations. As an innovative company that builds on trust, they have led the development into areas such as tech, mobile solutions, new product launches, and sustainable gambling. As part of their journey in 2020, they became the first global online gambling company to commit to zero revenue from harmful gambling by 2023. Clearly, as a digital-only company, data plays an important role in their sponsorship evaluation and measurement. Here's Christian. Christian, welcome to the show. We always start the show with a few... Icebreaker questions just to help the audience get to know you a little bit better, have a little bit of fun, start off on a little bit of a lighthearted foot. So, your first question is What was your first ever job, that first paying job when you were a young man?
1: My first ever job was at a sports marketing intelligence company called SportCal. Um, I'd originally done an internship from university there, and I was fortunate enough to get off of that job straight out of university um, in a role as a sports researcher. So as a, a massive sports fan, you can imagine that was was quite a job to go into, um, and it gave me such grounding within the industry. Essentially, what I was doing is I was looking after dedicated sports uh, for the website, and I was responsible for keeping elements up to date for our subscribers. That included um, adding media deals, adding sponsorship deals, keeping the events uh, bidding process up to date, and looking at the sporting fixtures. So keeping the calendar up to date. And yeah, my day-to-day was kind of daily news checks on sports to see if there are any deals. And yeah, coming out of university, I thought it was a bit of a dream to just be reading about sports all day. And my mum, my dad and my brother, who know how much I love sport, thought it was, a, it was a good fit for me. Um, and yeah, not not just uh, as a role, but also the company itself was a nice uh, family vibe, quite small. And it gave me a really good kind of uh, basis to work off and move forward into the sports commercial
0: industry. Outstanding. I don't think I've ever shared this with with many people on the podcast, but it it doesn't even compare to my first job, which was cleaning the bakery every afternoon. So I wish I had have got a job just like yours. That sounds amazing. Speaking of university, sometimes I teach at university and you're bringing students together and you want to sort of break the ice a little bit. And I make the students do a bit of an icebreaker. And I ask them, what would they do if they were down to their last $20. That's in Australia. You're in England, so we'll talk 20 pounds. I'm curious what you would spend yours on. And I'm not sure, considering Kindred is a betting group brand, what you might punt your last 20 pounds on, but I'm also not sure if you're allowed to be seen to be talking about tips and and gambling in that respect. So if you're allowed to, I'll let you go with a $20 punt or or maybe break it up. Otherwise, if you're not allowed to, what would you spend your last 20 pounds on?
1: Definitely go for the punt. I'm I'm allowed to. It's nowhere near expert, that's for sure. But yeah, I'm, I'm a massive tennis fan, got quite a good grounding in the sport. And at a previous job, I, I used to work on tennis day to day. So I, I got to a good stage of understanding around the tour. And more recently, there's a young Spanish guy called Carlos Alcaraz, who's come through. This year, he's really announced himself and he's, he's made it to the top 10. Uh, last year, he made the US Open quarterfinals and not so much of an outside favorite anymore because he won two big tournaments this year. He's now second or third favorite. So I'd probably put it on him to actually win the French Open. Love Ruffin Adal, and he's obviously won, I think it's 13 of them now. But I think with his recent injury and Carlos Alcaraz coming through, I think he'd be a, a good punt for the Roland Garros French Open title.
0: A very well considered answer because when I ask the uni students that, probably 80% of the answer is either alcohol or food. Or and when we talk food, like 90% of those people that say food are talking about buying themselves lots of pot noodles. So they're just trying to spend their $20 to survive, but you gave a great answer then and I had my pen ready. So we'll see what happens. Now, Christian, Kindred as a group, let's get into the serious stuff. As a group, is home to nine brands. What does that look like? Can you set the scene a little bit for us and give us a bit of a rundown of how that setup works?
1: Unibet is our flagship brand and that is the the sports betting brand which is known mostly globally across our our key markets Um, and that actually covers Europe, the North American market and Australia. And then the remaining eight brands are are, are a lot smaller. They're more local, hyper local casino and bingo brands, and they're based across Europe. The ones that I work with on a more regular basis with sports sponsorship is 32 Red in the UK, and Vlad Casino in Romania, which is a nice uh, a local one there. And then yeah, the the other remaining brands which I don't work with as much on a day to uh, Maria Casino, Bingo.com, Casino Hun. Colico, Polite, Auto Casino, and Storzbilla, mainly based around the Nordics and Central Europe. Um, and yeah, they're, they're quite a bit smaller than the Unibet as our flagship brand. Um, and yeah, from, as I mentioned from my position in the Central Marketing Intelligence team, I support with sponsorship measurement and evaluation, which is mainly focused around Unibet and then a bit of 32 Red and Vlad when I speak with the UK and Romanian markets.
0: I want to set the scene early with the corporate social responsibility that Kindred is pursuing. We know that problem gambling is harmful to the community and to the point where certain jurisdictions around the world are limiting gambling sponsorship and advertising in their markets. The point is not lost on Kindred and you have set an ambition to have... 0% 0% of your revenue from harmful gambling by 2023. That is a time frame that is very close. It's, it's, what, seven, eight months away. Talk us through why this is an important initiative for Kindred and its brands.
1: Yeah, it is a very important initiative for us and I think an important initiative for the industry. Uh, ultimately, we want to address the issue of harmful gambling head-on and we want to do our utmost to tackle it. So our, our aim and purpose as a company is to transform gambling by being a trusted source of entertainment and to contribute positives to society. So we also want to increase transparency With that and facilitate a fact-based discussion around harmful gambling and ultimately we want to pave the way for the wider industry to follow in our footsteps and disclose these figures. Uh, We're the first operator to openly share this type of data around harmful gambling and we publish the figures every quarter and we put them on our website alongside a measurement of our other sustainability work. So I mean as part of our work towards zero percent it's a very ambitious goal. Um, but it's an important one. We've implemented a player safety early detection system, and that's actually based on behavioral monitoring. So a lot around player behavioral science. Um, and What this does is essentially builds a digital profile for our customers and that means that high risk customers are more easily detected by the system. And from there, once they've been detected, our responsible gambling analysts, they can observe and collate relevant information which helps us to assess the risk for each player. Um, and that includes uh, some key checks such as changes in gambling patterns, affordability levels, interactions with our customer support, if their behavior's changed, and the time they spend online. So all of these key triggers which we can identify and, and obviously, push on to to try and monitor and and help them to to eliminate that element of harmful gambling. I think we all know that gambling is one of the most popular pastimes across the world. It's been around for a long time. But there's a stigma that remains due to a lack of fact-based discussions in many retrospects. So we want to work with all key stakeholders um, to develop those fact-based discussions and eliminate harmful gambling. And this kind of initiative and this goal is part of that. Uh, We know that for some, gambling can be a problem. Um, And we already have made a lot of important contributions to try and ensure that safer gambling environment for our customers. And I think two specific examples, which I can just add on top of that important goal is we've entered into a collaboration with Recover Me, which is an app supporting users to regain control of their gambling habits. And then we also sponsor a couple of PhD programs to um, add on some important analysis around research addiction studies at the University of Malta. Um, so all in all, yeah, there's a lot of fantastic work going on behind the scenes, which we're, we're trying to achieve this goal with.
0: As we said, it's an important goal. So well done on tackling it and taking it on head on and, and leading the way. As you mentioned, you work in sponsorship measurement and evaluation. What does Kindred's sponsorship portfolio look like? How many sponsorships do you have in play at the moment and are they focused on certain sports markets at all or is it just a big broad spread?
1: The numbers fluctuate quite a bit across the year based on seasonality of sports markets Um, and it tends to be in the 50 to 60 region. So it is quite big. Um, For me personally, working centrally, I'm really privileged to be across so many different markets and sports, learning so much about them. And the deals are they're focused on our key licensed markets because our sponsorship strategy is um, a local strategy driven by our local markets where we hold licenses. Um, the only real deals that we have, which are global or regional in manner, where the exposure is across the board and they're not necessarily managed by the local market only, really focus on exposure, kind of a set and forget, no activation needed, where we're just purely from an awareness point of view. Um that includes examples like LEDs we have in the Premier League, the English Premier League for global listeners. And yeah, I think more broadly, if we're looking at the sports, football or soccer, for some of your listeners, is obviously a key driver and it accounts for around half of the deals. Um, and then it's yeah, close to 80% of our spend. is a very important sport for us. Um, and I think yeah, with regards to, I guess, some specific examples, to give you an idea on the footprint, could probably list some of the, I guess, key entities across our key markets. So close time for you, Sydney Roosters in Australia, uh, back of shirt sponsor there. And then Belgium, we have two soccer clubs in Club Bruges and Sporting Charleroi. In Denmark, we have FC Copenhagen. In France, we have PSG and Nice in football, and we have Stade toulouse and Paris Basketball across rugby union and the basketball there. Uh, in Germany, we have a deal with and Mönchengladbach. And then in Romania, we have five football clubs across the top two divisions. Sweden, we have a flagship deal there with Svensk football, which is the the, the league-owned top two divisions of our Svenskan and Superettan, and we're actually a partner across the top two divisions there and the 32 clubs. Um, and then the UK and North America, we have... Uh, football clubs, a, a boxing deal, some horse racing deals, and then in the in yeah the North American market, as mentioned, some of the bigger franchises, uh, the New Jersey Devils, Philadelphia Eagles, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that should give you a good idea on the spread there.
0: It's huge, and I read a stat the other day that more than three and a half billion. People around the world have an interest in football or soccer for some listeners, so it's no surprise it's a major focus for Kindred. We see a crowded market, though, Christian, when it comes to gambling brands and sponsorship. Why is sponsorship a key driver to the business and what are you looking to achieve from it? You spoke earlier about some of them are set and forget and, and purely brand awareness, but is, are there sponsorships that are more than that?
1: Definitely. It's not just around the awareness play. To answer your question around why it's such a crowded market, you've ultimately got to think about the basics of marketing and sponsorship. So, brands want to be visible and present in a field or discipline where their customers are going to be or potential customers. And for gambling companies, sports betting is a huge product. Um, obviously, at Kindred, we're not just about sports betting. We also have poker, casino, bingo, slots, or other elements of gambling. But for many, the sports betting element is the, is the main product. And this is intrinsically linked with sports and the action there. So that kind of has a knock-on effect of why sports sponsorship for those companies is so linked to the product and so important. Um, and that's why you see so many gambling brands in sports sponsorship. Um, for us, the awareness element of the exposure is obviously there, but I guess to go deeper into why it's important for us beyond that, you've got to go back to our aim and our purpose, and that is to contribute positively to society. So we obviously have the awareness element for a commercial perspective, but we also get the opportunity to invest back into sport, invest back into the communities where our partners are operating, but also support key areas such as mental health, gender equality, LGBTQ+ plus campaigns, amateur sport, and anti-match fixing, to name a few of the the more key areas that we're invested in, alongside the sports sponsorship elements.
0: Your role is focused primarily on measurement and evaluation. Perhaps the most interesting element recently is the changes that you've made to your international measurement model with a power bi dashboard including hook it data flowing through into that firstly can you give us a bit of an idea of what that looks like and what sort of functionality and data it provides and then go on to talk about how you specifically use that data to measure your existing partnerships
1: the most important element for my job recently, we brought the measurement model in-house. So really wanted to build that Power BI dashboard to give our markets, our local markets, insight on a more regular basis and allow them to dig into it in their own time. Uh, essentially, what that looks like is we have three different data feeds from three different providers. Um, and That data runs across media, the more traditional media valuation measurement from our branding within Sports but also market research, which looks into some key brand metrics. So we have um, Nils & Sports, who cover our TV online and print elements. And as you mentioned, Hookit, which uh, have provided us with the valuation on a, on a social media element. And we have a company called NEPA, who look after our market research for the key brand metrics. We already had our market tracker focused just on our brand insights, looking at around brand health within our markets. And then as a team, we saw the opportunity to add on sponsorship on top of that. Um, And what we can do then is look at some key metrics such as awareness, consideration, preference, trust, um, sponsorship fit, and dig into those within the sports sponsorship field. I think the main goal for the, the dashboard, which is a work in progress and it's going to be evolving a lot and it's probably not where I want it to be in terms of um, everyone using it on a daily basis just yet. But I think what we want to do is break down the data from all of our suppliers and give our local markets and key decision makers the opportunity to look at that data. Um, and what we're, what we're focusing on from that data, from media valuation and brand side, is we're going to be looking at creating two scores. One, we're going to call the return on media investment score, which essentially breaks down that media valuation for the exposure against the contract cost and looking at it from a more traditional ROI perspective there. Uh, and what we really do is we focus on the domestic value where the deals are are based and where they're managed to, to determine how much value it is, not just, I guess, globally, where you'd get some markets where there's value where we're not really interested in. We focus on that local element. And then the more interesting one, which we haven't launched just yet, um, I would have liked to launch, but we haven't launched just yet, is a brand impact score where we're working with um, some colleagues in marketing intelligence to look at a score which weights the uplift for those aware of our sponsorships against those who are unaware of our sponsorships. And what this will do is it will give us two scores to measure a sponsorship side by side. And I think... The reason we have two scores and a really important element that I wanted to to bring across today is, there are some sponsorship deals which will never achieve a good return on media investment score, because there's well there's a few factors, but there's market expectation of the price, there's the rights holder strength where they know. They're a strong global property, and they can highball the brand. And there's also just some sports where you don't get a lot of uh, media exposure from your branding. So the example I always give is the NFL, and they have a rule in place where team partners don't get exposure below a certain element because that's reserved for league partners. Um, we all know that the American football in the US market is is huge and probably the strongest sport there. So. Having a deal like with the Philadelphia Eagles where we would probably have a a low return on media investment score doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad score because you obviously have the IP rights, you have to activate it, and then there's some brand equity that you get behind using those IP rights. So the Philadelphia Eagles is one where we would focus less on the return on media investment score because we know it might not achieve a higher score um, when benchmarks against the rest of the industry. Uh, And we'd focus more on potentially looking at the real impact it has on the brand from a a brand impact score point of view. And I guess uh, that's kind of the existing phase with our dashboard. Looking more long-term, because we've brought it in-house and we have a higher um, element of data governance, we actually will have the capability to linking some direct tracking links from digital activations, looking at direct business impact. Um, But that's the next phase, and that's kind of a longer-term goal.
0: It all sounds very exciting, and to be fair, Christian, I don't think I've ever been involved in any software rollout where it was perfect from the start and wasn't always a work in progress, so keep going. Now, how is, for want of a better word, the division of sponsorship across the brand's the, under the kindred group in terms of how you engage with rights holders who are coming to you and seeking partnerships Do you engage with them as the the, the head group Kindred and then possibly try and find the right fit of sponsorships for each brand uh, under the umbrella or does each brand have its own sponsorship objectives and and operate a little bit independently in terms of finding the right opportunities for them in their markets?
1: I think primarily we will engage them as kindred. This may vary slightly on a lot more local market level on a individual basis but yeah primarily it will be as kindred and then i'd say nine times out of ten we'll be obviously looking at unibet as i mentioned a flagship brand across all of our markets as the sports um as a sports betting brand it's, it's a lot more intrinsically tied with those sports sponsorships uh, and then yeah on a more ad hoc basis as mentioned we've got a few deals for our casino brands, 32 Red and Vlad and Casino. And that's where those two markets, it will differ slightly when compared to some of the other markets.
0: You gave an amazing rundown earlier of the different regions and rights holders that you're engaged with at the moment. So I'm curious about how it looks geographically in terms of focus or or weight of focus and focus in terms of of growth is it stable across the world in terms of growth and opportunities and it's all kind of just the same or are there regions that you're really focusing on growing at the moment
1: I think with any global multinational gambling company now, the US and the North American market are obviously fantastic growth opportunities there. That's obviously one of the more important ones we're focusing on at the moment. Um, we're operating in six US states and it's seven North American states now with Ontario and Canada just going live earlier in April. Um, so that that's obviously one element which is an important focus. And yeah, as a bit more of a challenger brand out there, where we don't have the awareness of some of the bigger players, such as DraftKings and FanDuel, from their daily fantasy sports elements, sponsorship can play a crucial part in our key states to differentiate ourselves and to try, and obviously, um, give a bigger push in those in those key states that we're we're launching in. Um, we're obviously being very tactical um, around how we launch. We don't want to launch it in every single state, because there are a lot of different factors that go into entering a state tax rates, um, and whether it will be affordable for the group as a whole. And then obviously, with the North American market, we, we're balancing our, our core engine of, of markets where we're already launched and established, I kind of alluded to the markets within our sponsorship deals earlier. And that includes Australia, Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Romania, Sweden, and the UK.
0: Now that we've got an amazing rundown on your setup. Very comprehensive. I want to come back. I want to circle back around to the point about your ambition to have 0% of your revenue from harmful gambling by 2023. I'm curious about how that's flown into and impacted your sponsorships because clearly it's going to be something that you're engaging with rights holders about and the industry and governments in those areas and other regulatory bodies like governing sports Associations. What has changed on that front compared to what it might have looked like with more traditional approaches, say 10, 15 years ago?
1: Definitely changed a lot. Our zero percent goal is definitely something that's been implemented across the whole organization. Everyone knows how important it is, and it's not just a tick box exercise for us. So naturally it's impacted the way we work around sponsorships. Ultimately, we want to utilize our sponsorships to promote that responsible gambling messaging and We want to use our exposure to promote safer gambling messages as well. Um, I'll uh, give you an example. In the UK, uh, last season we had responsible gambling messaging across the front of Shirt. For our three partners, uh, where we had the brand 32 Red and then beneath it with Derby, Middlesbrough and Rangers, we had play response, please set your limits and stay in control. Um, this season, we've we've focused that on on just one message and set your limits, which is consistent across the board. And then what you'll see as well with our boxing sponsorship in the UK with um, Queensview Promotions, we also have that messaging on the ring. Uh, on the base of the ring as well so yeah essentially obviously sponsorship is a key marketing channel and we want to try and tie in um, our goal of zero percent and the behavior that we want to promote within those as well Um, and yeah you'll see in similar led messaging across some of our premier league leds as well
0: I'd imagine that a lot of rights holders would be trying to engage with you as a betting brand because they're very prominent in the sponsorship space and they want to enter into partnerships. It kind of feels weird if sports organizations don't have a gambling partner these days. It's hard to think of one that doesn't. How do you manage the evaluation process with so many people really wanting to get a a gambling organization on board as a partner?
1: There's definitely a lot of the proposals coming across. I I mean... Personally, the first role for me within a brand in the industry, it's been such a good learning experience to see all of these pros coming through, get exposed to so many different types of deals, so many different areas of the industry. So from that point of view, it's been great. And yeah, we've obviously had to come up with a an important element of evaluating those proposals because we want to take a data-driven approach to these deals. And that's, I guess, a primary focus of my role with it. In the first place, within Kindred, I joined as a sponsorship analyst, and it's because we want to take a data-driven approach to our sponsorships. And yeah, I mean, in terms of the evaluation process, we have a combination of factors which we can look into. So we have a couple of reports which we can run—one with both um, with both data providers, one with Nielsen, and then one with Hookit—and we basically benchmark our values within that proposal against how we can extract maximal value, and if it's um, a good fit for us as a brand. Uh, as a a company as a whole. Um, So I think, yeah, the example for Nielsen Sports will break down a proposal and we'll have a full report which we can dig into with the market and look at proposals in depth. And then within the social media element, obviously the digital element is becoming a lot more more important. We utilize Hookit scorecards, which help us extract a top-line view of of our um, potential sponsor and take a look into um the performance there. One area I wanted to make note of, which where that's been really useful, is um within the the North American market where we're obviously broken down into key states and we can't activate from a national basis. So it's important for us to look at the geographical breakdown. So within those scorecards there's a sample of following and we, we're able to see the percentage of following in different states, different cities, and we can really target those um, potential new partners who have a strong basis in our key states and our key cities. And yeah, I guess from a wider basis, we're really fortunate to be a digital-only brand. So we actually have a lot of first-party data that we sit on, um, which obviously gives us a key indication around a potential partner's performance, their, their performance on uh, sports betting. So we can dig into the data, see who's betting on what, how are they performing, and if it's relevant for our for our existing customers. So, we yeah, we're fortunate to sit on all of that data across our key markets.
0: Sometimes I hear about people talking about all the data that they're working with and it just makes my head spin, even when we have tools to help try and make sense of it. Christian, we've seen some brands move to sponsorship agreements where – payments are tied to the achievements of certain KPIs as that partnership progresses is this something that you've done or maybe you've thought about doing and I'm curious if not maybe why you haven't gone down that path yet
1: yeah we we have done it for a few deals um it does vary across the group depending on the local market and the the state of the the partnership that we're moving into but yeah we've certainly implemented it across some of our deals i guess from my perspective from a central team's point of view. I think as we develop that internal measurement model that I mentioned, um, I really want to be introducing more data-driven KPI deals across the group. But I think what's really important is you've got to be able to select the right KPIs for the deal and the right data to base those on, because not all of the sponsorship deals are the same, as I've mentioned with that Philadelphia Eagles example. So it's important to know about the, the data behind that. And I think moving forward with in that in-house, we should be able to do that on a more regular basis. Um, I think, just more generally across the board, there's obviously different data providers, and and they can often come up with different figures for the same deals, which does provide provide a problem with for some people in the industry. And I think that's where you can get a slight um, bottleneck or disagreement with with using those KPIs within the deal, because if we have one data provider for a right side, one data provider for a brand giving two different figures then it's just important to be very clear in those contracts if you're introducing those kpis with regards to how it will be measured um, but yeah it certainly makes sense i think moving forward as we become more data driven within sports sponsorship that you'll see more examples of those kpis being a key driver
0: so Christian, clearly your role is all about evaluation and measurement and clearly that is really focused on the data and as you said, you've got access to lots and lots of different types of data use of data in this space is, is still maturing it hasn't been in the industry forever so there's been old ways of doing things how do you find the engagement from other areas of the business where you take data to them and reports are they really engaged with it and want to know more and pick it apart or are they just like they just engage with it because you ask them to
1: no, I think everyone's really interested. We've got a massive sporting culture at the company. Everyone really enjoys sports. So from a sports sponsorship perspective, everyone's like really keen to know how we measure it because outside of the industry, I guess there's not many people who really know um, how it's done. And obviously with digital marketing, other channels that, that can be consistent across different industries. But with sports sponsorship, it can be a little bit more niche. Um, so yeah, the reaction is is one of encouragement when I do take it to other teams. Um, But the funny thing is, is some of the more sophisticated teams, the data analytics team, BI, they're definitely more apprehensive around the methodology behind it and the um, level of detail that we can go into from a measurement perspective in in some of the more traditional elements. Um, And I think ultimately, it's probably mentioned quite a bit, but sports sponsorship in general is playing catch up with other forms of marketing and it's something that I really, it was an eye opener when I started um, at Kindred, a digital brand. I reached out to a lot of other digital marketing teams and they showed me how we measure campaigns and and how they operate. And I was kind of thinking, wow, if, if we can ever do this for our sponsorship elements, then it'll be really, really good. And it's obviously, I think it will be done across the more sophisticated brands some of the blue chip brands who are in sports sponsorship the ones who can afford to really invest heavily into that but probably not um, probably not regularly across the the board so yeah that's obviously our goal is to to bring it up to that and and to make sure that when we're speaking to those those other teams within the company there, they're kind of thinking, okay, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely up to scratch.
0: Well, talking about up to scratch, what does that look like? Can you talk us through some aspects of your reports in terms of how often you do them, how often you're having conversations with people internally, what sort of data you're giving them, and, and maybe some of the conversations you have around it?
1: Now, our main goal at the moment this tracking year this tracking season has been to check in with most of the markets who have key sponsorship deals on a regular quarterly basis it varies slightly again depending on seasonality and and the, the different markets and the different sports but we'll try and check in on a quarterly basis we're, we're quite a small team centrally there's myself and a, a sponsorship analyst and then head of sponsorship insights who's my line manager so we can't necessarily speak to all the markets on a regular basis obviously we have quite a few deals and quite a few markets to talk to but the quarterly quarterly basis has worked quite well this year it's a nice time to check in and we will basically deliver the reports depending on the types of sponsorships we have depending on the level of sponsorship we have which will um kind of guide our level of tracking um, based on the investment in the sponsorship and and the investment in the tracking uh, alongside that. Uh, typically, we deliver the key insights across the key verticals where I've already mentioned. So, Nielsen, Hukit and NEPA, the, the three elements of data that we have coming through. Um, and what we'll try and do in those market meetings is try and work towards a scenario where we can provide them with key insights which will improve the sponsorship on an annual basis Try and extract maximum value, and maybe tell them where things might not be working out, or where we can tweak things a little bit. And yes, yeah, so focusing on the media value element across those key channels mentioned, and the more inter- some of the more interesting stuff around the um, key insights around the key metrics from NEPA.
0: These days, brands and rights holders are looking to connect multiple data points. You've spoken about it already and, and try and get a, a full picture in near or real time. And of course, People use multiple systems to gather and house and use data. But many data providers, you kind of alluded to it before, maybe they compete with each other and so they aren't really looking to try and connect their systems in with sometimes people who are their competitors. There's also a view from some that sharing of data is a real test of a true partnership. So if that is occurring, there's a lot of trust in that partnership, which is ultimately something that leads to closer collaboration and, of course, success. How important is it, do you think, to be able to connect multiple data sources? And do you find that the sharing of data both internally and with partners is something that actually strengthens relationships as opposed to something that's just maybe transactional? Here's the data, here's the report?
1: Yeah, obviously, it's very important to connect multiple data sources. It makes my job a lot easier if that happens. Otherwise, if if we don't connect our data sources, then we have a very fragmented picture of the sponsorship. And I guess naturally from a brand side of view, it can work in a siloed way where some teams are focused on their own elements and that's where we might get a fragmentation. Um, and that's, yeah, I guess one of the key key areas where you need to try and align, make sure you're measuring the whole sponsorship and you're capturing every element that's being factored in. Um, I think our new model where we're taking it in-house where we've got higher data governance it goes some way to addressing that where we'll be able to align different data sets within one report a little bit easier. And then, yeah, obviously we have our first party data as well, which we'll be able to tie into that. But yeah, I mean, obviously the sharing, sharing of data and sharing of data across different companies and different partners is, is obviously very, very tricky. And it's, it's something which in the last few years, it's obviously, there's a lot of elements that that go into it, which, which don't make it easier, but it make it even more difficult. So people can be put off by it. But it's, yeah, I guess it's about um, trying to achieve that element where we want to capture everything in one place. Um, And I think, yeah, partners working together, Sharing data on both sides is really important to be transparent and and share information because it can only benefit both parties to to have that relationship. Um, if you're if you're transparent and you're honest, then I, I think it can really help both ways um, when it comes to renewal talks. When it comes to managing the day to day, I think to be honest, even if the data shows poor performance, that's where the data or sharing of the data earlier can really help because if you can address an issue early on, then it means you can improve it or prevent performance from a season and then when it comes to the end of the season or when it comes to renewal talks you've addressed the issue already you've potentially improved and then you've saved yourself some harder discussions later on but yeah it's definitely an area which i think will continue to be an issue for the for the foreseeable future but one which is uh it'll be good to be addressed um, where you where you can
0: I think you make an insightful comment about the sharing of data early, if it might not be too rosy, might not look too good, because it does give you time to address those problems. Because I think both sides of the fence really want to avoid those conversations when it comes up to renewal time where you get comments like, we just don't feel like it's working and we feel like it's been broken for a long time and this decision not to renew was always coming. So I think you make an insightful point. Now, I don't think in your rundown I heard anything about eSports and we recently had Patrick Collins from the eSports agency LeapFox on the show to discuss sponsorship in eSports. Has Kindred considered the space at all?
1: Previously, we were the front-of-shirt partner or a main partner of Astralis, Danish CS:GO team. But at the moment, yeah, you're right, nothing we have actively um, entered into at the moment for, for our partnerships uh, portfolio. Um, I think with the Astralis thing, we we had a couple of changes internally where the partnership management on a day-to-day basis changed hands, um, and that probably didn't do it a great service from a from a day-to-day activation point of view, where we didn't fully utilize that sponsorship. Um, and then, because of those changes in structure and ownership, it meant that we didn't end up renewing it in the end because there wasn't some uh, there wasn't a lot of value seen from some of our markets where there potentially could have been. But yeah, I mean, it's esports in general there's there's huge potential I think in the gambling sector. And We see a lot of crossover with uh, regular gamblers and esports fans, um, and we we do see some of the some other brands who are really active in it. Obviously, Betway they're one of the the leading brands within esports I think and then some of the other smaller brands are quite active such as Parrymatch and um, and GGbet but yeah I think to be honest I think it's a matter of when we get back into it and not if um, but I do think it's going to be on a more experimental basis where Um, we're still finding our feet in certain markets with the understanding behind what's really execute and what would be valuable for us. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm in touch with our eSports product manager on quite a regular basis to try and discuss how we could potentially do that moving forward.
0: Well, I hope I don't start a a tsunami of proposals, sponsorship proposals coming across your desk. But as a digital-only organisation and a growing digital space, it does seem like it would be a a good fit. But as you said, it's it's probably only a matter of when, not if. Christian, I noticed that a few months ago you spoke on a panel at the UK Events Summit, which I think was held in Manchester, and you were looking at the topic, what do sponsors want? And I know it will probably be pretty difficult uh, hard to summarize a whole panel in one answer but it'd be great to hear your takeaways and thoughts from that panel because when i saw the topic i thought oh here we go this will be good
1: the conference itself as you can imagine from the title the uk event summit was very focused on events and hosting of events and the logistics that go behind it so our panel was giving a bit more of a an insight behind sponsorship industry specifically, where there wasn't a lot of um, insight from that on other panels and even day to day attendees. Um, I was very fortunate to be sat alongside some really great guys, some really experienced professionals. Um, so that made me quite quite a little bit more relaxed when I was sitting alongside them. Um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, my insight was focused on the measurement side of things and the evaluation and obviously like the model we've touched on earlier on, on this podcast episode. Um, but I guess, yeah, some of the key takeaways from from it more generally, we were just trying to encourage those who worked on events um, and those who held events to to try and work with brands to understand their businesses on a more uh, daily basis and build partnerships that went beyond just the branding element. Um, I know it can be really difficult for people to try and understand what a brand is on a more daily basis, like what their makeup is, where their key areas are. But I think that's maybe a key takeaway that came from other panellists. It's
0: good advice. As we start to wrap this up, Christian, tell us about your favourite ever sponsorship activation. And sure, it's fine if it needs to be one that you've worked on that you're really proud of, but it also, if you don't have one, it could be one that you've admired from afar. What was it and what made it great for you?
1: I am going to be biased and pick one of ours, but I really genuinely believe that, I guess this deal and this these campaigns are really good and they're having the last few years really impressed me and and that's in our in our swedish market um as i mentioned we're the main and presenting sponsor of the top two football divisions and the 32 clubs within that um and that's with and then um, And within that deal um we worked to establish some key activation campaigns and there's a lot of some a lot of great work across those so we have a, a campaign called Hemakluben, where the fans can vote on for their clubs and the club with the most votes um, will get more money, which we donate at the end of the season. So we're donating money to all of the clubs. Um, but the percentage of that is broken down based on the fans votes. Uh, and then alongside that, we donate money to clubs based on the player of the coach of the month campaigns, which we which we sponsor. And then we also invest in the club academies in a campaign called UniCoach. Um, but ultimately, the one activation that I would pick out of all of it is called Hemekancelland, which translates into home feeling. And it was a series of activations, um, videos, campaigns, which were tailored and personalized to each of the 32 individual clubs. So not just doing a generic one and rolling out across all of it. Each one was tailored to each club across the country. And it focused on the passion and the emotion from the club. And it featured some key individuals, be it from the club's chairmen to players and the fans. Um, and yeah, that campaign actually recently won the Golden Wheel Award in Sweden, which is the best sponsorship within the country. Um, so yeah, that's that's a really impressive one. And I guess just to be unbiased, well, still biased because I'm a Chelsea Football Club fan, uh, there was a very memorable one where we had a kit launch with Adidas and they covered our players in blue paint, which felt very strange but very memorable because it was so different.
0: Outstanding. There's some great examples there, lots of innovation that goes into it, some things to excite and engage the fans. What sort of sponsorship innovation or new ideas are you seeing elsewhere in the market that excite you? Are there any trends or ideas that, that really make you think, geez, this is going to be amazing, can't wait to get involved with those sorts of things?
1: Obviously, a lot of it's focused on technological advances and different developments there. And I think new technology can really enhance the sporting viewing experience and ultimately enhance how we can run sponsorship campaigns. Uh, It's not necessarily a new trend. It's one that seems to have been chugging along for a while now, and people have spoken about it for a few years, but it hasn't really kicked off, and that's with virtual reality and VR headsets. Um, They're obviously quite expensive still, so they haven't really kicked off on the consumer side of things. But I think the opportunity with those to create an immersive sporting experience with sponsored laid into it would be um quite an exciting one to do and obviously as a sports betting company for us it would be easier to do this by aligning with the action rather than interrupting it from a vr headset point of view um i I mean i don't know enough on the tech side of things to know how close we are to that but that's one that's i've always thought in the back of my mind if it's executed in the to all its potential, it could be really interesting. Um, and I guess focusing more on sponsorship itself and less about the tech, I always like looking to the North American and the US market. Obviously, they're really developed commercially, but the uh, the new inventory that's being released there on from the major leagues, they're opening up their jersey inventory to a lot of new brands, which is quite exciting. Um, and it's quite funny in the US, they're obviously, this is all new and the jersey inventory is is very new after, I think pushed on by the pandemic um and then in the uk it's it's a already accepted thing and obviously in other markets as well particularly in football or soccer it's it's already widely accepted but that's an area which i keep seeing pop up in the us
0: Excellent. Some good examples there. And speaking of great initiatives, I saw recently that you donated one of your front of shirt sponsorship spaces to a great cause. I didn't want to give the whole background in setting up this question for you. So it would be great if you could tell us what it was all about and and why you would give up such a prominent space like that, the front of shirt.
1: We have a long-standing partnership with Rangers Football Club, one of the biggest clubs in Scotland and a really big club in Europe. And we we donated the front shirt space for their recent Europa League semi-final to the Teen Talk initiative. Um, and I guess this links directly to our sponsorship model of supporting not just the club, but also the communities that form the club. Uh, Team Talk is a club initiative that we support through the Rangers Charity Foundation, and it's aimed at supporting men's mental health Um, and it's about encouraging them to to interact with that campaign. It's a local program that runs every Wednesday. Uh, We've actually implemented that campaign across our other two UK football partners already with Middlesbrough and Derby. Um, They both recently won Community Club of the Year in their respective regional EFL awards as well, which was nice to see. Um, But yeah, I mean, using that space at such an important time in the season, we wanted to use that element to promote awareness amongst the fans in the hope that more of the fans will reach out and encourage them to seek help and advice through that program.
0: It's a great initiative and it's definitely an important issue in the community. So congratulations and well done on that initiative. Christian, it's been a great chat. If people listening want to connect with you or find out more about Kindred and its brands, what can they do? Where can they go?
1: Yeah, listeners can reach out to me on LinkedIn. They'll be able to find me under my name and yeah, I encourage them to to reach out and connect and pick up a discussion there.
0: Outstanding, And listeners, of course, in the show notes, we will put a link to Christian's LinkedIn profile. Christian Fitzer, Sponsorship Insights and Operations Manager, thank you so much for taking us inside sponsorship, evaluation and measurement at Kindred Group. Thank you, Daniel. I said to Christian off air that sometimes when a guest joins me, while I know the questions that I'm going to ask it generally, I never really know how the conversation is going to go and what we're all going to learn from them. But I'm sure you agree that what Christian covered for us was very insightful. I think we all feel a lot of pressure to use data to justify our decisions and work. So I hope you took heart from the fact that even though Kindred are a digital-only company and use data really well already, Christian talked about how it's always a work in progress. They're always striving to be better. To be fair, I think Christian would probably concede that he'll never use data perfectly and that its collation and use will always be evolving at Kindred. That, in part, will always be around the fact that data collection and processing will always be changing in the industry. The key message for me there, and I hope it is for you, you too is that you shouldn't feel too much pressure to try and be perfect with your data but that you should always be striving to be better with it if you'd like to follow and connect with christian on linkedin search for christian Fitzier. that's f I-Z-I-A. And you can learn more about Kindred Group and its brands at kindredgroup.com. Finally, if you'd like a shout out or just want to connect and say hi, then I'd totally love to hear from you. i get a real kick out of it, so please do connect with me on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston. That's O-Y-S-T-O-N. That's a wrap for episode 108. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. To the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.